Good morning. Thanks for coming this morning. Those of you who are watching online, thanks for watching online or whatever time of day you happen to watch online. My name's Gary Elston, as has been told already. Jan and I, my wife, we've been, we've been coming here for a little over a year now. We'll get into that more later. I, I, I am a retired pastor, but before that, I spent 20 years as an engineer. Now, to those of you who are married to engineers, I am so sorry, because we are just nerds. We just can't help it. We're just nerds. And I consider that a compliment, by the way. After 20 years, God called me into the pastorate, and I was a pastor for 21 years, primarily in central Indiana, although our last church was in southern Indiana. When we retired, we moved north to Wisconsin. Most intelligent people, when they retire, move south. We moved north. Let me tell you why. We have a grandson that lives here in Madison with his mom and dad, our daughter and her husband. So that's kind of why we moved up here. Moving up here was really different for me because I had never lived anywhere outside of Indiana my entire life. So for 62 years, I lived in Indiana. So moving up here was a little weird for me. Now, it, it was made a lot easier because I have been a lifelong Packers fan. Go, Pack, go. And you can applaud that. That's okay. However, here in Madison... Y'all people like to wear a lot of red and white. I am a Purdue graduate. Boiler up, hammer down. That was my wife. She is also a Purdue graduate. So before we get into which school is better, and I would win, I would win that argument, We're in a series that Pastor Harold has been preaching on Songs of Summer, and we have heard so far about God's greatness, God's faithfulness, God's gracefulness, and God's peace. And then last week, Ryan did such a good job with our response to those four qualities of God. He preached out of, here I am, Lord. And our response is, here I am, send me. Let me do something. As you heard, we're going to sort of continue that series today. We are not using uh, one of those old hymns, the classic hymns that we all know, or even, here I am, Lord, isn't one of the old hymns, but it's still in the hymnal. This song, as you probably know, isn't in our hymnal. Someday, I hope it is, I hope it becomes like a Gaither song, you know, I am from central Indiana, home of the Gaithers. I lived about 15 miles away from the Gaithers. And when they wrote their music, it was not instant classics. It did not instantly get into hymnals. However, it is in hymnals now. And I'm hoping that this song eventually ends up in hymnals because, Tom, it is such a good song. I get to preach on it because I was the one who suggested we do this. And Pastor Harold said, sure, you you can go ahead and preach on that. And I think I was probably the only one who voted for it. So you've you've heard the song, and now we need to start with Scripture. And we're going to read Scripture here, and it's one of my favorites. Being a retired preacher and not preaching very often now, I get to preach on just my favorites. But this is a really familiar Scripture. It comes from Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, let these be your thoughts that pass through my lips and into our hearts. Amen. I think Jesus loved the Sea of Galilee. He was on it or around it a lot. In, In fact, In the Gospels, the four books there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Sea of Galilee is mentioned about 40 times. Now that is almost, it is not quite, but it's almost every other chapter. That's a lot. Have any of you been to Israel and seen the Sea of Galilee? Couple. It is a very beautiful lake, and here's a picture of it that I took when we were over there in 2009. The, the mountains and hills come down and the lake is formed in the valley. And, and I can see why Jesus loved it. It was a, a very, very pretty lake. And we were able to take a charter boat out on the lake. Now, this boat probably held 50 or 60 people, but we were going at one point just the right direction and the wind was just the right way and the waves were just the right way. And I started getting sprayed by the waves on the boat. And I thought that was so cool that the Sea of Galilee was spraying on me. I go back to being a nerd. Okay, that still fits. However, I have to say that the Sea of Galilee isn't really what I would consider a sea. See, when I think of a sea, I think of something really, really big. Now, the Sea of Galilee is large. It's about 12 or 13 miles north to south, and it's about seven miles east to west at its largest points. To give you some perspective, Lake Lake Mendota up here. Y'all know that that little lake right up here? The Sea of Galilee is about four times that size. Okay? Now, all of you have heard or seen Lake Winnebago way up north. The Sea of Galilee is about one-third the size of Lake Winnebago. So it's good size, but hardly what I would call a sea. It is deeper than both of those lakes. In fact, It's as deep as both of those lakes combined. It sits in the valley. In Jesus' day, fishing was the big activity on the lake. Well, it it still is. People still fish the lake. In fact, when we were over there, we stopped on the east side of the lake and had lunch at a communal farm, a kibbutz. And we had what was called St. Peter's fish. There's a picture of it coming up. And it's, it's a tilapia cousin And it was really good. I don't know, maybe I was really hungry that day, but it was really good. Cooked out on a barbecue we ate. You can see we're eating outside. It was awesome. Now, the locals considered the eyes of the fish a delicacy. I heard that. Some of you went, oh, no. 
And I was pretty certain I wasn't going to do that. But some, some friends we were with, a couple of the guys, they tried the eyes. And they said they did not taste very good. And they had the texture of a red rubber ball that you used to play jacks with. Remember those? Yeah. I went from, I don't think I want to do that, to no. Hard no. The scripture is mentioned in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's from Matthew we learn what Jesus was doing that day in Capernaum. He had spent all day preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons. And he had a long day. And when it was over, he told his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, in Jesus' day, there were no 60-foot charter boats to take people across the lake. What they had were fishing boats. Here's a picture of a fishing boat. It's about 25 feet long, holds about 12 or 14 people. And if you can look really closely at the back end of the boat, the left side of the picture, there appears to be some kind of shelf to sit on. Well, that's where Jesus ended up in the boat. Remember, holds 12 to 15 people. There's 12 apostles plus Jesus. That's going to be a full boat. Jesus ends up on that little shelf back there in the back. And they take off for their two-hour tour. This is not Gilligan's Island. It's not a three-hour tour. You all thought about it, didn't you? Somewhere along the way, Jesus goes to sleep. He's tired. He's preached and teached and healed and casted out demons all day. He's tired. So, if the Gospels can be taken somewhat chronologically, some say they can, some say they can't, but if they can be taken chronologically, this event happens very early in Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 4. That's early in the book of Mark. So I think when Jesus was asleep, the disciples were talking about their day, which would have been, you know, had you seen people miraculously healed and demons miraculously cast out, you might be talking about that too. But my guess is they were doing more than talking about that. They were still trying to figure out who Jesus was. In fact, we know from later reporting in the Gospels that they really still didn't know who Jesus was, especially when he was crucified. So my guess is they spent part of that time talking about who is this guy that can miraculously heal and cast out demons? As the saying goes, they hadn't seen nothing yet. During their two-hour tour, a storm came up on the lake. The Greek word, I hate doing this, but the Greek word that Mark uses is seismos. And it's often translated as tempest or earthquake. In fact, we get our study of earthquakes, the word for that, seismology, from the same root word Mark used. So this wasn't a storm, this was a storm. Mark wrote that the the boat was filling up, that it was being swamped. The wind is winding and the waves are waving and the water is coming in the boat. And in Luke, his version of the story says... The disciples were in real danger. Hmm. Now, let's think about this for just a minute. At least five of the disciples are fishermen. They fish 
this lake. Had the weather been bad before they started out, they would never have gone. So now they get caught in a storm. A storm that's been described as seismos. A storm where Mark says water is coming in. A storm where there's wind. And the apostles get afraid. Now think about this. These are experts on this lake, and yet they're afraid. And we know they're afraid because they go to Jesus and they say this. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Not might drown. Going to drown. The jig is up. They're going down. We don't know what Jesus thought. This could have been the first of many times where Jesus was just a little exasperated at the disciples. He might have thought, boys, you saw me all day miraculously heal and cast out demons, and you think this boat is going down with me in it? I don't know that that's what he thought, but I know what he did. He said, silence, be still. And Mark writes so succinctly, suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. I love that verse. I love it so much. There's a picture of that verse on our living room wall. And it's in the picture, Jesus is standing in the boat with his arms up and the water is absolutely still. And the sail on the mast is hanging limp. And the clouds have begun to part and you can see a little more light. That moment when Jesus suspended natural laws and stopped the storm. So let's think about this for just a minute. Let's recap what happened. The disciples and Jesus were out sailing. There was a storm came up. The disciples got so afraid that they were going to die that they went to Jesus and Jesus miraculously suspended natural laws and stopped the storm in the middle of the storm. The storm did not end. Jesus stopped it. How many of you wish that would happen to you? That when you're in the middle of a storm somewhere, you go to Jesus and Jesus says, no problem, we're done. And all is well with the world. Don't you wish it happened that way? We know it does. We know sometimes natural laws seem to be suspended and miracles occur. You have all known or maybe even lived through cancer riddling a patient one day cancer gone the next. You've heard about babies that were born way too premature and way too underdeveloped to live, yet they lived. You've seen pictures. I saw a picture this week of an automobile in a wreck with a semi. You know who wins that one, right? In the picture, this, this car was destroyed. There was no way people would live through that. And yet the two people in the car literally walked away with just scratches and bruises. 
We know that can happen. We know that is not the norm. Normally, when a storm is happening in your life, it plays itself out. Jesus doesn't come and suspend natural laws to save you from your storm. I have a story about Jesus helping someone, though, during their storm without suspending natural law. And you might know the fellow it happened to. How many of you here have ever heard of John Wesley? I see hands, heads, yeah. He's the one who founded what is now Methodism across the world. Now, John was an Anglican priest, priest in the Church of England. He got the new gig of being an Anglican priest in the colony of Georgia here in the United States, 1735. So this is 40 years before we declared our independence and about 50 years before we got our independence. So Wesley is on his way to the colony of Georgia, Savannah, Georgia to be exact. And he's in a boat crossing the Atlantic Ocean and a storm happens. Does this sound familiar? Much like our scripture this morning? And Wesley and some of the others were afraid for their life. They thought, sure, they were going to die. And there was a group of Moravians, German brethren, German Christians on the boat. And instead of panicking, they held their daily worship service. And they prayed and they praised. And Wesley was amazed and how calm these Moravians were. And he said that, he wrote in his journal that they had a storm-proof faith. And he prayed to have that same faith. So what, what was it that caused the Moravians to have storm-proof faith? Well, it was an unshakable trust in Jesus Christ. Unshakable. They knew. And maybe the miracle that Jesus wanted to show the disciples wasn't the miracle of the calming of the storm around them, but rather the miracle of calming them in the storm. What I call the Moravian miracle. A faith that says there's no storm too big, no opponent too... Dangerous, no crisis so dire that Jesus can't help you. The Moravian miracle calming you in the storm. I got that miracle. July 26th of last year, almost a year to the day. My wife and I were going to see her dad who lives over in northeast Indiana. Very corner, five more miles eastern Ohio, five more miles northern Michigan. And we were going down Interstate 290 and 355 around the west side of Chicago. And I started having chest pains. Now being a guy, I ignored it. Right guys? I thought, I had a donut this morning. Maybe I'm just having heartburn. 
I don't normally get heartburn, but that was my excuse. I started getting hot and I started fiddling with the air conditioner, something I, I don't normally do. And after a couple of times of fiddling with it, my wife says, are you okay? Calmly look at her and say, I'm having chest pains. <laughs> it was really quiet in the car for just a few seconds. We talked about it and decided it's time to pull off. So we get off the interstate in Bolingbrook, Illinois, on Bowton Avenue, and we stop at a Meyer parking lot, and we just kind of see and sit and wait to see if my pain goes away. It, it didn't. So my wife calls her sister, who is a cardiac nurse. Her sister says, hang up and dial 911. So she did. The ambulance gets there. And they do whatever all the ambulance crews do and get me on the gurney and in the ambulance. And then once I'm in the ambulance, they ask me for the 13th time, it seems like, how you doing? And I said, I just feel so weak. And the guy says, well, your heart rate is around 40, so no wonder. So we get to the, we get to the ER. Jan shows up. She had to drive herself to the ER. Sorry, babe. They got me on monitors and we wait. And then they come in, and they move me to a bigger ER room. They did that because that's where the crash cart was, and there would be more people there if I crashed out. They could get more people around me. I didn't. So we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And about three hours later, they take me into a room, and they check my heart out. They find out I have a 100% blockage in an artery in the lower left back part of my heart. I put one of those little things in there, shoved it in there, and immediately, immediately, I felt better. I spent that night, which was a Monday night in the ICU, spent the next night in, in the medical surgical floor, Left the following day. We did not go see Jan's dad, which is where we were heading. We went home. And I tell you that story, I'm not, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, I never felt like I was going to die. I never felt the panic. I felt some pain, but I, I never felt like I was going to die. I, It didn't, ha it didn't hit me. No, I, I had a long talk with God. I told him that, you know, I was pretty comfortable with his and my relationship. Yeah, I could have been better, no doubt about it. I prayed for my family. You know, I, I might die, so I prayed for my family. The, the worst thought I had during that mess was my daughter-in-law was seven months pregnant at the time. I was afraid I wouldn't get to see my, as of yet, unborn granddaughter. I 
why do I tell you this? I never, I had the miracle of being calm. I don't think Jesus left me. Even in my, some kind of panic situation, I, I got the Moravian miracle of staying still, staying peace. I still praised God in the midst of the mess. And I always felt him there. I didn't want to die. <laughs> and I certainly wanted to see my as of yet unborn granddaughter. And I, I have. And here's a picture to prove it. She was born about two months after my heart attack. So now the final story has to do with raise a hallelujah. Thank you, Tom. It was written by Jonathan Melissa Helser in 2019, just not very long ago. You may know them. They also wrote another song called No Longer Slaves, also a really good song. Here's the story of the, of the song. They have a friend who had a daughter. And the daughter got E. coli. And things did not look good. And they reached out to their friends, including the Helsers. Well, the, they got a text saying that, you know, they're preparing for their little girl to die. And so the, the Helsers, when they got this text, this song came to them. They wrote this song then, words in the music, and they taped it. And they, or they didn't tape it, that's an old word, sorry. They electronically sent it to the little girl's dad. And he played it over the bed. She didn't die. She lived. And that, that song has kind of become their anthem of victory. So here are just a few of the lyrics that we've already sang. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. Oh, that's such a good feeling. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise because death is defeated. The king is alive. Raise a hallelujah. Whether you're in the middle of a literal or figurative storm, raise a hallelujah. Louder than all of the stuff that's going on around you. There's power in our praise and worship. Never, never, never underestimate the power of your praises. Even in the storms, miracles happen. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for that song. I thank you for the story of that song. I thank you for my story and for the story of all of these people sitting in this room. 
Father, continue to be with us, even in the storms. And we will continue to praise you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.